I live in a wonderful little town in Florida called Safety Harbor. It's in the Tampa Bay area. And one of the things that people love about this place is that there are lots of big, shady trees. There's one particular tree that everyone knows about. It's a huge oak tree called the Baranoff Oak. And it's named after one of the early property owners here. This tree is estimated to be over 300 years old, and it's huge. The diameter of the trunk is around 20 feet, which is almost 7 meters. And experts have estimated that it weighs around 800 tons. If you do a Google search for Baranoff Oak, you can see pictures of it and you'll see why it's so special. You can also read about how, a few years back, the city took action to try to protect it and in doing so, they almost killed it. It's still there though, and I get to see it almost every morning. My guest today is Tessie. When she was younger, she had a job working outdoors. And by outdoors, I mean in the deep forest. So she and her co-workers were literally surrounded by trees, really big trees, all day. Some were over a hundred feet tall. Working in the forest is physically demanding, and Tessie loved being out there for days at a time. But things changed when one of those huge trees came crashing to the ground. Real people in unreal situations. There is a man standing in front of me in my bedroom. My friend has been shot. I'm in the literally inside the river and I'm inside my car. He had told me multiple times that he was going to set himself on fire. If you say my name or try to look at me, I'm going to kill you. And he was just sobbing. He said, Mom, Mom, tell me you're going to be okay. And I jumped on the hood of the car and I held on. And I looked into the garage and he was hanging from the rafters. I had somebody standing on my neck. He's better to me dead. I want him dead. I'm Scott Johnson, and this is What Was That Like? Where were you when this happened? I was in the eastern Sierras. The incident took place in the Golden Trout Wilderness. We were down by Jordan Hot Spring. Uh, so that's pretty far south from like Mammoth and Bishop Lakes, California. Is that all part of the Inyo National Forest? Yes, yes. All that east side is the Inyo National Forest. And farther north is Yosemite National Park, just to give reference. Uh, Yosemite's in the Sierras. You had an interesting work set up, what you were doing. How far were you from like the nearest town or from other people? Well, for this year, we were pretty far south. I might just go into a little bit of what the trail work is just to have a description so you guys know what is going on there. <laughs> I was going to ask you that anyway. So, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I worked with the Inyo National Forest and I was a part of a trail crew. There was probably about four trail crews that season out of Bishop and then a couple more out of Mammoth Lakes. So normally I'd always worked up north in the higher Sierra. So you're working at like 10,000, 11,000 feet. And usually it was all rock. You're above tree line. 
so this year of the incident, we were in a completely other zone that than we were used to. We were from Bishop. It was a three-hour drive south, and then we hiked in six miles from there. <laughs> so you weren't near anything. No, no. It was, yeah, it took a while to get there. And, and so what exactly is trail work? What were you doing? Ours was mainly, we didn't make new trails. These are all existing trails that we would go and maintain. Like in the high Sierra, we were building rock walls, water bars, check steps, just trying to keep the trail from eroding because it'll just completely destroy the entire landscape there if it keeps eroding away. So the place we were in that the year of the incident was kind of completely different because instead of hiking straight up into the rocky alpine area of the Sierras, we hiked down and it ended up being more trees and meadows and just a completely different scene. The reason we were there, we were there to rehab a fire area that had burned the year prior was the McNally fire, I believe. So after a fire, uh, if all the trees and brush and everything's burnt, there's nothing that can hold the soil in. And so we were there to kind of maintain the tra- the existing trail. So that meant using logs to make a water bar or a bridge, just anything to keep the fill back into the trail. So you guys were so far away from everything, you must have stayed out there for a certain amount of time, like you were, it was kind of camping, right? Oh, yes, yes. So our schedule was we'd work nine days on and have five days off. So that included the drive time and hiking in. And then, yeah, once you're out there, you want to stay and work. We do nine hour days, completely physical work. So yeah, the the trail workers are definitely the hard working bunch. It was just physical. You're moving rocks. Uh, we worked in the wilderness area, which also meant that you can't use any power tools. You can't even have a wheelbarrow or anything that's not primitive. So we always had those kind of challenges too, which made it special. Like, yeah, we took pride in our work and using crosscut saws and all that kind of stuff. And how many people were in this group? In my group at Jordan Hot Spring was me, Gwen, Brent, and Chad. So there was four of us. But at this, on that tour out, we had our main hire boss, Kevin, come out because there was an enormous tree blocking the trail like a mile down from where we were uh, camping. So he was there to blast it out with dynamite or whatever he used. (laughs) So he just happened to be out that night. Otherwise, it would have just been me, Brent and Chad and Gwen was actually our crew leader. So she's the one that has like the um, radio, any way of getting a hold of anybody. So it was actually very much a blessing that Kevin was there. And there were also you had three dogs with you, I read. Yeah, I had my dog, Sancho. He'd been a trail dog. This was probably his third season doing trails with me. And Gwen had Abby, her border collie. So those were the two that were on the crew. And then when Kevin came out to meet us, he had his dog, which is a German shepherd. I can't remember his name. So yeah, it was kind of normal to have dogs on the crew. It made me more comfortable. (laughs) 
And it must have been, I mean, the dogs must love it, just being outdoors and running around all day while you guys are working. Yeah, I had mine as a puppy, so he kind of grew up outside. It was uh, quite a transition moving indoors. (laughs) That night, well, let's talk about what happened that night. So everyone went to bed. Did you, were you each in your own tent? Yes. So we had um, a wall tent set up, which was had our cooking gear and everything in it and just a place like if it starts raining or anything, you have some kind of cover to go into. So that was set up. And then we're on our own individually with our tents. You just choose anywhere to set up. So me and Gwen actually had gone into one direction. So we weren't that far from each other where our tents were set up. And then I don't know where the other boys went. They were in some other opposite direction. Yeah, went to bed like normal pretty early because we start early and work nine-hour days. And that day prior, it had rained. Some pretty good rainstorms just came and gone, though. And then that night, I'd say it was about between 4 and 4.30 in the morning. I remember waking up just to a little bit of sprinkle rain on my tent and my dog had been outside the tent. So I called him in. That's why I remember just being so aware and knowing what time it was. And I don't remember falling asleep after that. I was just kind of laying there and out of nowhere, like there was no wind. There was no rain at this point. It was quiet. And out of nowhere, I heard this crack and then thud I mean, it was huge. Like I automatically let out a scream, not even knowing what I was screaming for, just knowing that that was danger, something was dangerous. And at that minute, I got out of my tent. I actually did scream Gwen's name. I was just wanted somebody to, like, did somebody else hear this? Is this just me? And she didn't answer, but I didn't think anything of it. I was just like, okay, she's sleeping. And maybe it was just these big branches that are behind my tent. So I just kind of started making up scenarios in my head at that point. Because when I shined my headlamp over to Gwen's tent, the vestibule of her tent was facing me. And a vestibule is like a, it's like the rain fly over a tent. You have a little space before you actually get in the tent that you can put your shoes and everything that won't get wet. Abby, her dog, her eyes were staring. I could see them glowing at me as I was pointing my headlamp to there. So that automatically made me think, oh, she's just sleeping. I guess that wasn't that big of a thing. And I went back into my tent. I did not sleep. I just knew like something big had happened but you didn't see anything when you were out. No. And it was still dark at that point and just kind of shining a light around. It was, I wasn't actually near the tree either at that point where I was just shining. I didn't go too far. And when you're out in the forest like that in the deep woods, it's really dark too. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's no natural light around at all. Yeah. So it was about probably six, you know, like a normal time of getting up when I was like, okay, I can get out of my tent now. And so as soon as I got out of my tent, I went straight to Gwen's. And that's when I saw it was like the end of the tree had fallen on the tent. 
And I mean, it, it took me a minute to try to figure out what was happening. It was really just a confusing moment. And before I know it, I was screaming for the guys to come help, please help. And just screaming and Kevin, our main boss, was the first one that got to me in the tents. I was just like yelling at him, is she okay? Is she okay? And then we're trying to move, lift the top of this tree off, but it's so heavy that we just can't move it. Can you describe what's the what's the size of this tree? I'm trying to picture how big it was compared to where it fell or on the tent. Oh, I mean, it was enormous, 150 foot tall tree. What they say? I can't remember what the diameter was, but I mean, it was a huge tree. And strangely, it was just like towards the end of the tree that hit Gwen. So the very top. Yeah. Yeah. The very top of the tree. Because the top was right there at our tent. That's what we were kind of trying to lift up and move. And then, like, it was just so confusing. And at that time, I'm telling Kevin, I'm like, well, maybe she's down at the hot spring. Maybe she's not even in here. And I remember him saying, I can feel her. And at that same time, like, Abby, the dog, her dog, Abby, is biting at our hands. Like, you know, she's trying to protect Gwen. And we're trying to get the tree off. And she's just biting at us. The other guys, I think Kevin must have yelled to them to bring some tools because we have like a rock bars and those kind of tools that we could probably move the tree. When they were going to go get that, I have no idea what happened. But before we even knew it, me and Kevin had lifted and moved the tree. It was like one second he pulled back the tent. And I just, it was Instantly, I knew she was dead. And I let out the most gut-wrenching scream I probably ever have in my life. Because it was just automatic. Like, oh my God, she's no longer with us. The tree had, like if she had just been like two feet over in her tent, she would have probably been really scared or maybe injured. But yeah, the tree just landed right on, right on her head. So she was crushed. You said it was like a 150 foot tree and it was the top of the tree. So this tree was like half a football field away where it was standing. Yes. And, and it just, and it fell that far. And that direction. And it was actually a live tree. We were in an area that had burned, you know, that's why we were there. So, um, of course, we wouldn't have put up camp near dead tree area. So, yeah, we had chosen what we thought was a safe zone. And the tree actually had a closer and better direction to hit my tent. But, yeah, for some reason went between these two thin other trees, went right between those and right onto Gwen's tent. I can't imagine how horrifying it was to discover her there like that. Yeah, it was definitely something I've never seen in my life. And of course, uh, my life had changed instantly from that moment on. I didn't know much about trauma. You know, I was just living my best life. Like, life was great. I was working trails. 
we were just like all in the best shape of our life. I had trained for marathons in the mountains and just did on our five days off, we would go climb peaks and just, we loved our lifestyle. We knew we were lucky to be living in the Sierra mountains and no camping's not for everybody. It is a lifestyle you get used to, but yeah, we all felt very lucky to have the jobs we had. So right after that, we had, we told the boys not to come over, you know, they didn't need to see her. So we, we just kind of left that area and went back to the wall tent. And that's where luckily Kevin had the um, radio to call out. Otherwise, I guess we probably would have had to look in Gwen's tent for the radio. Yeah, that would have been pretty scary. So yeah, he made the call out because we were so far South. I think we ended up like on the, in a different County or there was some sort of weird thing like that. So it, ended up taking like five hours for a helicopter to come out because they had to get proper authority to come out with them. So we literally just kind of had to sit around camp while Gwen was dead on the ground. It was surreal. Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read, and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up, and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1 And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully, that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut with Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com what Code 25 what? I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV, and her dishes are made right here in Florida, so I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, 
I pick a meal based on my mood for that day, I heat it for a few minutes, and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you, because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com slash what. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So Gwen's friend Nikki was going to come out with us on our next tour. Uh, She was flying in from France. She was actually in the air the day Gwen had died. Um, So she was on her way to California and I remember we were talking about that, like, oh my gosh, her friend's on her way. And then Gwen's boyfriend, Patrick, was on another crew in the Sierras further north. So you kind of come into just talking about like, oh my God, what's Patrick going to do? Who's going to tell her mom? And then there were times we just kind of had to be I don't know, normal, I guess, and make coffee. I remember she, Gwen had given me like an apricot the night before and in the back country, you know, fruit and fresh stuff. It's like prize. <laughs> so I remember like for some reason just eating that apricot because she'd given it to me and I didn't want to eat it, but it was just, it was weird. I was, I had never in my life experienced a physical shock like that. Like, I didn't know that just by seeing something horrific that your body can actually go into a shock. Like, my vision was all messed up. Like, I couldn't even really see straight. Uh, It's really hard to explain what all happened in my body because I don't really understand it myself. But, yeah, it was just a lot of crying and walking around, just waiting. It was just a lot of waiting. Something like that that's so sudden and shocking and horrifying, it just, you just have to, your brain just has to take time to process it. It doesn't happen right away. Yeah. And yeah, I, I wish I would have known more about trauma and the, the response and all that. So we did decide to walk out. A helicopter did come and we were offered helicopter rides out, but because of my dog, Kevin's dog, and Gwen's dog, we just we decided we just wanted to hike out as a group. Finally, when they had showed up, the police and that, we were able to leave. And like we didn't take down our tents or anything. We just packed what we could and took off. So while we were hiking, Kevin's wife and another guy, Marty, had driven down from Bishop to meet us. <laughs> 
just knowing that we shouldn't be driving <laughs> after that. So they came and met us and one of them drove our truck that we had taken down and one drove the other. So I was very, we were all very glad. We, I don't think we knew they were going to be there, but it was quite a relief <laughs> to have them there. Are there some kind of guidelines for where to set up a tent so that you can avoid something like this? I mean, there must be, do you check the wind direction or, or what's the best practice for that? I mean, really you just, yeah, of course we're looking at the trees. Um, I mean, you're in the forest. It's hard to set up your tent, so not near any trees, right? Exactly. You know, you kind of want some trees just for a little bit of protection or some shade because the area we were in got hot. It was only like 8,000 feet compared to like 10, 11,000 where we had normally been working. So it was a rough season to begin with just because we were working in a burnt area. You'd come home black, just everything is black from all the ash. So it was really rough. None of us were super excited to be in that zone, except for Gwen. She was happy anywhere. <laughs> she would make the best out of anything. And we did have a natural hot spring that we were able to soak in. So that did make it nice. That's a benefit. Yeah. You, you've said that this was the first time you experienced physical shock. At what point did you realize that was happening? That wasn't until later that night. So when we had gotten picked up, we drove the three hours back to Bishop. And during that time, they actually had called the other trail crews to come out, you know, let them all know what happened. Because, it, yeah, we were really a tight knit. It's like you don't just work together. You're living together. Yeah, we were definitely more like family than anything. Just being part of a trail crew. Yeah, you're just family. Yeah, when you're together 24-7 for nine days at a time, I can imagine it would be just like family. Yeah, and even on our days off like that year, my boyfriend, which is actually now my husband, he was with me, but he didn't work trails. We all actually lived at Horton Creek Campground on our days off. It was one you could uh, pay... I can't remember what it was, $200 and you kind of own the site for the summer. And so it was like, I had a site and then right next to mine was Gwen had her uh, big camper van. So that's where like our days off life was. So yeah, her van was right next to ours. And yeah, that was rough kind of waking up and seeing that those first couple days. Did you get counseling or therapy to help you get through this? Yes and no. It was definitely offered. I was not the best at taking it. The next day after this event, we did go to a debriefing that was called with a therapist. Um, so all of us that were there, I can't remember. There were some other people there that wasn't in the crew. It must have been some of the other trail crew. But we had to you know, explain what happened in detail, our experience. And that's when I had heard that Kevin said like the most thing that is stuck in his head was the scream I made after we opened the tent and found her. That's when he expressed that. Yeah. So 
after the debriefing, yeah, I was offered to that same therapist for therapy and it would all be covered. Being a part of trail crew, it was really hard to go from being this really tough, strong person that I, yeah. To admit that you needed help? Is that what Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I just wanted to be okay. And I didn't know that you'd have to take the time to do it. I was more angry at myself. Like I'd be mad at myself for not getting back on track, not finding happiness again. Like what's wrong with me? (laughs) So did you go back to work? So we were off for, I think the rest of that tour. And then, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I kind of figured I felt like trails wasn't going to work for me again, but I did try. I tried once more going out. What they did was just put us with the other crews. So Brent and Chad actually ended up staying with another crew and working out the season there. I made it one night and, uh, I like, I was just having, I couldn't even sleep. I was just a mess. I didn't feel safe. Nothing felt normal. So yeah, I tried it one night and I just couldn't do it. But the forest service actually, um, they offered that I could work with the engineering department because they go out to work and come home every day. So they're not like in the back country. They're working more uh, on the campgrounds. They put in the restrooms, like they do all the big machinery type stuff with loaders and all that kind of work. So I was uh, able to go work with them. It was a blessing because I didn't have to go out into the back country, but I also lost like my family, you know, like these guys were more construction dudes. Uh, you just talk shit all day. There's no comforting (laughs) or asking how you are like that type of thing. So that was really hard, especially they knowing they probably didn't really want me on the crew. I was the only girl. So it was just like, uh, you know, I'm sure the dudes didn't want to work with the girl, but all in all, they were they were great. Like, I was really lucky to still have a job. And I even went, um, I finished out that season. And then I worked a season with the winter with the water department, um, cutting down salt cedar trees, and then went back with the engineering crew f- the following year. So it, surprisingly, I actually stayed with the Forest Service one more year. Strangely enough, we had met them and worked with them earlier in the season before we went down to Jordan Hot Springs. We helped them at a project at the Whitney Portal. It's like the parking area for um, Mount Whitney. And there was a spring. They were needing pipe to go from the spring down back down to the parking lot. Uh, So we spent that tour digging a ditch like kind of straight up a mountain side to the spring. Then the engineer guys came with the pipe and we were all uh, helped move that up the hill and then they would put it all together. So we'd actually worked with them. And so they had met Gwen, you know, um, and they ended up actually making a little plaque and naming that spring Gwen Salta Spring. 
Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that was pretty neat. Yeah, I'm sure she would like that, uh, that idea. That one night that you tried overnight, that one time after, what prevented you from sleeping? Were you, you said you didn't feel safe. Were you afraid a tree was going to fall on you or were you thinking other things? Yeah, not that a tree would fall on me. Uh, and I don't, there must have been maybe some heat lightning or something, but in my head, things were on fire. I kept thinking that there was a fire and I was afraid and nobody else was up. And like that was just inside my tent. And I also kind of knew that my mind was probably pr- playing tricks on me. So yeah, it was just, it was just a long, weird night. And I'm sure, I'm sure I did think a tree would possibly fall. I guess I had that fear for a long time afterwards. Yeah. And when you go through a night like that, it's got to be next to impossible to wake up and go to work because you're exhausted from being up all night. Yeah, I ended up heading out that day. I didn't stay and work. Were were you actually diagnosed with PTSD? Uh, Yes, yes. I did see a doctor. It was just a couple months after. And he did start me on some medication for that. I'm sure like everybody else where we just hope the medication would take everything away and it didn't, (laughs) but I think it still helped me get through at least a certain amount of time. What should you have done or what would you have done differently had you been aware of what you'd gone through? Yeah, I've thought about that often. I know I, I probably needed to take some time off. Like what happened was, uh, when Nikki did come in, um, her friend that was coming from France, she did eventually make it to Bishop area and met us up at Horton Creek campground and all that. And her and Patrick, Gwen's boyfriend ended up doing a road trip up to Whitefish, Montana, where they have a ton of other friends. It was like a whole group of them ended up living there from like the Vermont area. So they wanted to go and just be with their friends up there. And honestly, I look back and was like, that was probably the best things they could have done is just like, go be with her in a group of others, you know, and just really like, I don't know, memorializing her, I guess. Well, you're with, she's with, they're with a group of people who have all lost the same person. That's got to be a common bond. Right. Yeah. Then you'd have people that are going through it with you. I didn't really take that route. I, I kind of more backed away from the world. I was embarrassed that I wasn't okay. I like, it was bizarre. Like, having it it played like a video in my head nonstop from beginning to walking out over and over and over so it was like I, I felt like I couldn't have regular conversations with people like what do you talk about normal when you have this horrible tragedy going through your head so yeah that lasted months probably six months that it was like a constant repeat then it kind of became me telling the story in my head. And it was like, I didn't want to forget any detail. So I would just like tell it over and over. And sometimes I would start over 
because I missed something. It was it was bizarre. Well, yeah, and then back to that first night that when I realized that I'd had a shock was I was, we had all met up because all the crews came down. We had met up at Kevin's house in paradise just to all be together and just, yeah, just to support each other. And so we were there, but I, I hadn't actually gotten a hold of my boyfriend at the time. So I was really worried, like, What if he's going to be going down to the hot spring? It's a weekend. What if he was going to surprise me? So I had all this weird stuff going through my head. And I decided to drive back to the campground in case he showed up there. So I just remember driving back and my vision was so bad that it was, I was kind of scary to keep driving. Um, Luckily, it was kind of all back roads. Uh, I didn't have to be on any major road, but I, I just remembered kind of blinking my eyes and wondering, oh my gosh, what is wrong with me? And that night I, I didn't sleep in the tent. I slept in the back of my truck. Well, if you can call it sleep, it's more like <laughs> fuzzy sleep. Cause yeah, just your mind is just racing. <laughs> Do you consider yourself now fully recovered from this? Yeah. Yeah. It's this happened in 2003. It was probably around 2010 when I really started to feel better. It was a really, really rough time in between. And of course, I wanted to be okay. So I I didn't want to talk about it all the time with anybody. And I wasn't good about getting help I needed. And I did realize that a pain pill takes stuff away, even the the pain in your head. So I kind of went down that road on and off till about 2010. And then I did get stronger and started running again. And I did a couple more marathons, but yeah, it took a long time. But for someone that's been through a, a trauma somewhat like that or similar, the time that it took to recover could have been shortened greatly had you continued with therapy, I guess, right? I truly believe so. Yes, yes. I didn't want the help. And honestly, trauma, you need help. Just the way your brain is working after is not normal. And you kind of need somebody to help tell you that and tell you the things to help get it back to normal. It's kind of a conundrum because your brain needs help, but it's your brain telling you, no, I don't need help. So... You just have to figure it out. I guess eventually that counseling is going to, is going to help. Yes. Yes. And I did have a lot of help with uh, EMDR that helped a lot. And that was further probably 2009 when I was starting to get that. Yeah. That made a big difference. That's interesting. I just, I had a previous guest on not too long ago that said that's what made a huge difference for him. Yeah, it was recommended to me. And so I found a therapist that did that. And yeah, she was amazing. It definitely got me out of that, the feeling of of an identity, like this trauma is my identity. Like I felt like this was so a part of me. It was almost hard to let go. 
you know, you kind of hold on to pain strangely. <laughs> like you almost don't want to let it go. It becomes a comfort. Well, also, I would think maybe you you don't want to try to get past it because it would almost seem like you're dishonoring her memory by trying to move on with your own life. Is that yes, part of it? Absolutely. And boy, did I live with some survivor guilt. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it is a real thing, especially like she was so amazing. I mean, Gwen was just an awesome person, full of life. And she would talk to anybody, have conversations with the homeless. Like, it didn't matter. She, Her whole thing was just wanting to get to know people, like to really get to know them. I've seen a few pictures of her. Every one, she's just got the biggest smile. Yeah. <laughs> what's your, and I'm surprising you with this question, so you can think about it for a minute if you want. What's your favorite memory with Gwen? Some of the memories I have are just like little pictures that go through my mind. And uh, it's it's usually just funny things she had done. <laughs> I remember like seeing her in town in Bishop and she'd be riding her bike with an umbrella over her <laughs> and just like these bright, crazy clothing. I'd just be like, oh my gosh, there's Gwen. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, one time out at Horton Creek, the campground, she has a... Um, oh, shoot, what are they called? The horn, a trumpet, and decided to play it like seven in the morning. <laughs> so I remember hearing the trumpet and then uh, you hear this guy yell, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and then her trumpet keeps going. <laughs> oh, so those are the just funny small memories. She played by her own rules, it sounds Absolutely. Like. <laughs> now, I know this is something my listeners are going to definitely want to know. With Gwen being gone, what happened with her dog? Yes, Abby hung out in, with Patrick and Nikki for a while, and then she got back to uh, Whitehall, New York, to Gwen's mom, Carol, which Carol was just needed Abby to be with her, for sure. I can imagine. What a comfort to have her daughter's dog with her and you yeah. know, during that time. Yeah. I understand Gwen's memory kind of lives on. I, I've seen a, there's a Facebook page called friends of Gwen Saltus. And there's what I saw was an annual memorial float and clean the highway. What, what happens at, at that kind of event? Yeah, that started with the, um, all the friends up in whitefish and Nikki Definitely got that going because she, she's the good planner of all that. Uh, so every year, it's always the weekend of July 19th, wherever that lands, because that's when she passed away. But we have a highway, a part of the highway named after her. And the, so we clean up that part of the highway. It's, it's a road that goes into Glacier Park. So it's this gorgeous piece of road that there's the river right below us. And honestly, it doesn't really get that dirty. So, <laughs> so it takes, it doesn't take that long to clean it, but uh, yeah, we do the cleanup and then right after do a float. And what, what happens on the float? What are you floating on and, and how far do you go? Oh yeah. So Nikki, all those guys up there have lots of rafts. Um, I'm sure we've rented some sometimes because there can be up to five to seven of rafts of people. 
yeah, we definitely take up some space. I don't actually know how far it is. We take a very long time because we make a lot of stops, um, hang out, swim, like it's a full day. And then we always stop and give our cheers to Gwen. And yeah, it's it's really, it's quite special. And her family's actually been out for it a number of times. Yeah, so I've gotten to know uh, her mom, Carol, and her sister, Sherry. She ended up having two kids um, that Gwen never got to meet, but her daughter, she named Sierra to the Sierras. And yeah, they've all come out to Montana a few times and it's kind of neat getting to know them. It must be so gratifying for her parents to realize she affected so many people in such a positive way. Yeah. Who would have thought, what's it, 19, it'll be 19 years this year that she's thought about more than once a year, of course, but like we won't forget her. Like she really was that special of a person that like, I don't know, I kind of feel like she's the one that brings all these other great people together because her friends that I've met up in Whitefish are amazing. You know, they're all just really cool people. All right. Well, we'll have links to the Facebook page and and all of that, as well as your email address. If anyone wants to contact you by email, we'll have that on the show notes page for this episode as well. Tessie, thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for letting me share it. I wanted to add a little bit of good news to this conversation. Tessie and I didn't talk about this for the podcast, but she told me afterward Remember she talked about Gwen's best friend, Nikki, who was flying in to meet her on the day of the accident? And she also talked about Gwen's boyfriend, Patrick. Well, at some point through this tragic situation, Nikki and Patrick met and they ended up together. They've been married now for 17 years and they have two boys. And I'm pretty sure that would make Gwen very happy. And what a story when someone asks them, so how did you guys meet? And in case you didn't know, this is not the first episode where we've talked about a tree falling on someone. Back in episode 58, James and his co-worker Charlie were cutting down a huge tree and it didn't fall in the direction they expected it to. The next thing I remember, I was sort of led in a cocoon of branches sort of right in the middle of the tree um the trunk was about two three foot to the left of me um i remember calling out to charlie and he was sort of two three foot on the other side of the trunk but fortunately i didn't know this at the time but there was a mound next to the green that the tree had hit which mean that the trunk didn't go all the way down to the floor and i think if it had have gone all the way down to the floor it would have been game over That's episode 58 called James Was Crushed by a Tree. Okay, I have a few things to talk about here. First, I wanted to let you know that I've put out some content that's different, and it's not really related to the podcast, although I did post it on the podcast YouTube channel, so if you subscribe to that YouTube channel, you may have already seen it. I'm starting to put together a plan to create a new YouTube channel and it would be for sleep meditation. What I'm picturing are 10 to 20 minute videos where I would talk in the beginning and provide some guided sleep meditation for a few minutes, then the rest would be calming music to help you drift off to sleep. 
From the research that I've done, there seems to be a demand for this type of content. So I'm in the very early stages of this process, and I came up with this idea to make a kind of one-off, goofy meditation video. Like meditation with a little bit of humor thrown in. If you want to hear it, just go to the YouTube channel at whatwasthatlike.com slash YouTube, and you'll see it listed there. So I'd really like to know what you think about the actual YouTube channel I'm planning to create. Is this something you would use? Do you listen to podcasts or YouTube to fall asleep? I'd love to hear what you think. You can email me at scott at whatwasthatlike.com. And I just released a new raw audio episode. There are now 23 of these episodes, and they're bonus exclusive content for anyone who becomes a supporter of the show for $5 a month. These are actual 911 calls with the stories that go with that call. This new one is a little different because I only cover one story. Usually there's three. But in this, the 911 call itself is actually more than 40 minutes long. These two mothers were on a hike with their kids. And a couple of the kids went exploring into a cave. And then the roof of the cave collapsed, burying them under tons of ice and snow. Okay, and how many feet deep do you think it is? Can you tell from where you're looking? I know, I can't! Are you sending somebody? They're going to die! Are you sending somebody? So you can hear that story, and you can binge all 23 episodes with tons of 911 audio by signing up to support the podcast at whatwasthatlike.com support. And now here we are at this week's listener story. If you're new to the show, we always end each episode with a short story from one of the podcast listeners. What's interesting is that everyone has a story that would work. Yeah, even you. Just think of something that's happened to you that's funny, interesting, outrageous, or even really sad. You have a story like that. You just have to think of what it is. So if you can come up with your story, and you can tell it in about three minutes, call it into the podcast voicemail line, 727-386-9468. And if you need more than three minutes, just contact me. We'll figure it out. This week's listener story is on a topic we haven't had in a little while. It's a childbirth story. I hope you enjoy it. Stay safe, and I'll see you back here in two weeks. I got pregnant with my husband, who was who is six foot five, and built like a linebacker, really, really thick and strong. So we knew we were going to have a big baby, and I am five seven, and I was a little, I was overweight. So I tried to do exercise, and I had pre-gestational diabetes, and so I um, had an amazing pregnancy, uh, no depression, no anxiety, which is which what I live with on a daily basis. But during my pregnancy, everything stabilized. And I was like, oh my God, I need to be pregnant for the rest of my life. It was absolutely amazing. So we get to the end of the pregnancy and I pass my due date by, uh, I'm on, it was the 28th of August, 2007. I'm with the doctor at my regular appointment and there was a long weekend coming. So I asked the doctor if he could induce me on the Friday so that I didn't have to stay the long weekend pregnant because I was so, like, it was big. The baby was big. 
I had had my stomach get hard, but I wasn't feeling any pain. And this was going on for about a week. So when he checked me, I had been apparently for a week at four centimeters and 95% effaced. So I was in active labor, but I, I, it was fine. I was fine. My water hadn't broken, so we just stayed there. So on my father's birthday, on the Friday, the 31st of August, we went in for induction. Uh, they broke my water at uh, 1.30, and the pain I didn't feel before, well, geez, I felt it now. I've never felt pain like that before. It was really bad. I was hungry, so my husband went and got me a wrap, and um, I ate it, and then it was time for the epidural to come. And while they were putting it in, apparently it looked like he had to try two, three times, and he kept, you know, my husband was looking at the doctor, I'm leaning on to my husband, and every time he would lift his fingers up, there would be blood on it. And my husband was like, oh my gosh, just get it done. So while he was doing this in my back, I needed to throw up. So my husband ran and got a little pail and I threw up in the pail and he was so good. He ran to the bathroom to to rinse it in the sink, but then realized that there was a grid in the sink hole. So he had to scoop up the, the, the chunks and then put it in the toilet and flush it in the toilet. So um, once I had the epidural, I felt great. And then I started pushing at 7 p.m. As I was pushing, uh, everything was going really well. And um, my mom was on one side, my husband was on the other. They were holding my legs to help me push. Sometimes they forget to put the legs down after because they were chatting with each other. And then out comes the head. But right before out comes the head, the doctor saw hair and he's like, oh my gosh, the baby has a lot of hair. And my ex-husband, who my husband at the time, uh, was born the same way. So we kind of knew that he was going to have, the baby was going to have hair. We didn't know if it was going to be a boy and a girl. We wanted to keep it a surprise. And then what happened is that the doctor had actually told me to stop pushing because he needed to work the baby's shoulder out of my canal. But I didn't listen. And I just want to get the damn thing out. So I pushed and it ripped to the work, like to the fourth degree. So there, there was, it, I had to have surgery after. And so the baby comes out and I start hemorrhaging and I lost about a liter and a half of blood. We have about six liters of blood in our body. So I was hemorrhaging. It was really bad. I could feel liquid running down my leg. And apparently that was just blood gushing out of me. It was pretty dramatic. They put the baby on me, but I was losing blood. So I was kind of out of it. They took pictures. Thank goodness. They were going to stitch me up right then and there. But first they had to get my the bleeding to stop. So they had to get my uterus to contract again. So I had one nurse pressing down on my stomach and I had the doctor with his arm all the way up to his elbow inside of me trying to contract the uterus. It was so painful. It was worse than having the baby. I guess when they they stopped the bleeding, they were going to stitch me up. And I'm like, no, I don't want any more pain. And they're like, no, no, it's not going to hurt. And I said, everything hurts. They were going to take me into surgery anyways to make sure everything was okay for exploratory and then 
they ended up doing the um, the stitching there. So I didn't get to see my daughter, like truly see her, because while I was gushing blood, they lost me for about 10 minutes. I was unconscious. I, don't, I didn't die there, but I was unconscious. And I wake up and I've got my parents who are divorced for a long time, one on one side, one on the other. I woke up and I didn't know if I was really like real life because it was weird to see them together. So they've whisked me off now to surgery and my ex-husband is taking care of the baby. We come to find out later that he had to feed the baby with a tube with his pinky finger because they didn't know if I wanted to breastfeed. Oh, and when we were looking, when the baby came out and my husband was looking and looking and looking, we realized that the absence of a penis meant it was a vagina. So we were all excited it was a girl and we named her Mia. I'm in surgery and I didn't get out till 11.30. So I don't see, I don't have the baby in my arms until 11.30. And the whole family had been there. So I'm like, I come in and all the parents are there and all the, the step parents and the, anyway, so many people. So I come in and I'm holding her and try to breastfeed. And, you know, my ex-in-laws are sitting there and I'm like, they're not getting the hint to, to get the hell out of the room so I can like pop my boob out. Anyways, we tried that. It didn't work, so we decided not to breastfeed. I had had a breast reduction, so we knew this could be a possibility. He gave the, he gave me Mia and put her in my arms, and I have pictures of it, and it shows how out of it I am, how yellow I am, because I I, I was anemic and it was pretty bad. But for a whole day and a half, I did not connect with Mia. I was like crying to my mom in the middle of the night, give her back, I don't want her, take her away. And I got it all out and my mom looked at me and she's a tough mom and she's a, a she was a nurse and she's an amazing woman and she looked at me, she said, okay, that's enough. Suck it up, you got this, she's your baby. So after that, I started connecting with Mia and I, because I was able to hold her before I didn't have any energy. So I got out of bed and I took a walk with her and I really bonded with her during that walk and it was absolutely amazing. The next morning, well, the morning after I gave birth, my husband came back. He couldn't sleep at the hospital, so he came back. He still has the bloody jeans on, the bloody shoes. <laughs> and he just didn't, he just wanted to get back there. He He's a very loving father. So he came back and... Uh, we have a beautiful girl now. She's 13. Oh, I'm sorry. No, she's 14. And she's five foot 11, much taller than her mama. She's built like her dad. Uh, she plays hockey. And that thick hair never went away. Uh, a lot of people would comment on her hair when she was a baby. She was just a really happy, funny baby. Big smiles, always giggling, always smiling. Those first three years were watching her grow were absolutely amazing. We got a divorce after three years, so it was a, it changed the dynamic. But she, she's just amazing, and and to watch her grow. And I know people say this all the time. Oh, it goes so fast, and it used to annoy me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it does. <laughs> she's 14, and in grade nine in high school, and it's just unbelievable. It really is a miracle that we can form these little creatures in our in our tummies and 
that they come out and they're nine pounds, one ounce. That's what I forgot to say. <laughs> nine, nine pounds, one ounce, 21 inches. She was very long and very big. Thank you for listening. And uh, Scott, love your show. Uh